Welcome to another episode of Being at Work. I'm your host, Andrea Butcher, and I could have talked with today's guest all day long. He says that leaders who don't care about their employees will eventually be surrounded by people who don't care about their business. Yep, we share a deep commitment to creating human-centric organizations and helping leaders lead with love and caring. Stefan Vincent is the founder and chief human rebellion officer, I love that title, at the People First Community. But what you most need to know about him is how he helps organizations transform their company culture by adopting a human-centric customer experience and brand mindset. Notice that it's applying marketing techniques internally. You'll hear him talk about creating a culture of caring and putting employees at the heart of your people strategy. So I asked him, why is that rare when it seems like that should just be natural for organizations? So check out his response to my question. It is not what I expected, but as we unpacked it, some great insights emerged. So let's dive in. My background has been in marketing and customer experience strategy for most of my career. But I've always been passionate about building a culture, whether as a recipient, as just an employee, and or as a leader as well within my team. And over the past few years, as I was working for a startup and we were going through the whole customer experience drawn in strategy and mapping, and startup was highly dysfunctional, like in some startups, you know, that happens once in a while. And when I looked at different ways online to, you know, re-engage or further engage employees, a lot of stuff that I found online was very much HR focused, but kind of around processes and policies and just basic metrics of engagements. And I realized that everything that organizations do and that I've done personally on the customer side could be applied to, to the people side of things. So when you think of you know, understanding the needs of your customers, well, understanding the needs of your employees, developing communication and branding and marketing to engage with your customers. You can do this with your employees as well. So there were a lot of similarities just to transpose what companies do well on the customer side and apply them to the employee side. I see the connection so clearly. Over the last few years, as this has come more to the forefront, you've seen so much greater connection between marketing and internal HR departments. Talk about that, what you see there. Well, so first of all, you have the notion of employer branding, right? Which is not different from customer branding. You said that you just focus on a different audience, even though the audience is very similar as well, because chances are um, some of your customers may want to join your company or some of your employees may buy products or services from your company as well. So they're intertwined. But uh, th- there's a sense generally of the people function going just beyond HR and not hiring people necessarily with an HR background, but really with a with a design thinking background, more importantly. So whether people have worked in you know, in, on the marketing side or customer experience side, or even just HR side, it's mostly around design thinking that are going to help organization design what the, what the work experience is, what the human experience is. 
Yeah. Talk a little bit more about design thinking and how that plays out inside of organizations. Well, design thinking, first of all, it's all about empathizing and understanding your audience's needs and aspirations and motivations and motivators and so forth. So in order to do that, you have to talk to people, you have to observe how they interact or behave in their specific environment or with a product or with other people, with a service, whatever it is. So it's really understanding very, very deeply how people behave and why they do what they do or why they don't do what they don't do. And with that as the foundation, then you start designing what the experience would be in the organization from there. Uh, so from the candidate experience to the employee experience to the to the alumni experience. Uh, and it's just really talking to people. So the more you talk to people, the more you understand how individually they behave and what they want to get out of their experience working for your organization. And then when you start putting together individual reservations, you're going to identify patterns that are going to dictate what the overall strategy is going to be about. Oh, it's so good. I love it. It's like little researchers really paying attention to how people behave and why they do what they do and then create experiences that best support their engagement, their commitment. Right. And the design thinking, really, the most important is when you identify a problem, is not so much of how can you f- fix that particular problem because it's very narrow. It's more about what caused the problem and then look at different areas to solve it in a very different fashion than just looking at uh, like a very process oriented or very narrow. Yeah. So it's a curious mindset, isn't it? Exactly. Yes. Okay, well, this is good. So we we could continue down this path, but I want to go back just a little bit. What what got us to this conversation is you talking about what you've been doing over the last few years. But go back even further, because I know, you know, on this show, we talk about pivotal moments in leaders' careers that taught them a lot about themselves. And I know you have an early, I think your first job was a pivotal moment for you. So let's go back even further Then I bet we'll come back around to this conversation. Yeah, so that that's uh, you know, many, many, many years ago when I graduated from grad business school. I First of all, at that time, men had to do their military duty in France for 12 months. So I sort of my you know, transitions from a grad business school to during military duty before entering the workforce. But anyhow, it's interesting because the whole thing was very, very interesting. So even before I had my interview with the organization that I joined, which was the Chamber of Commerce in the city where I lived in the French Alps. The, actually, the Chamber of Commerce was managing the business school I had graduated from. And I knew a lot of, I was friends with a lot of like admin staff and professors and so forth at the school. So anyhow, um, I knew even before uh, I did the interview that I was hired for that position. It was kind of interesting, but I was the first graduate student from that school working for the Chamber of Commerce. And they really wanted to build the sort of a bridge between the school and the Chamber of Commerce as well. So it was a very highly political decision. But my direct manager didn't want me, not me personally, but he didn't want someone coming from a business school. He wanted someone coming from a very, very specific organization like or, or university with a very, very specific background. What, what I learned from that is even though the decision was imposed on him. I was forced you know, to join his team. He welcomed me with uh, open arms and um, he never made me feel that I was not welcome on the team. And wh- what I learned from him is, first of all, you don't always have 
you know, the choice of getting people on your team, right? You may inherit a team if you get promoted or if you join a company and there's already a team existing, you're going to have to work with whomever is on that team right away. So you have to learn, you have to get to know them, you have to learn how they work and you have to make a place for them as you have to make a place for yourself. So that was one big learning. The second big learning was that, you know, I had no work experience at all. So when I faced the situation, I would always come to him and say, hey, Eric, that was his name. You know, what should I do? What should I do? And he would always answer my question with another question. He would never give me a specific mm -hmm. answer or even point me to where I needed to go. Um, so he challenged me to find answers to my own problems or situations I was facing. And I carried that on when I took over some, some teams and built teams to really help people thrive and grow you know, professionally and personally by finding solutions to their own problems. Um, so that, that was the, the second thing. And the third thing was just getting to know people on a personal level. Because the more you connect with individuals on a personal level without you know, getting too much into the details of personal lives and so forth, but you get really to connect, to create that bond and to connect with people in other ways that you wouldn't have necessarily from a supervisor to a direct report. Yes. Oh, well done, Eric. So <laughs> yes. first, well done, first Eric. job right out of graduate school and you learned a lot from him. Three important lessons learned. You know, I, I want to unpack each of those and starting with the first one, because I, I think that for a lot of leaders who feel like something is being imposed upon them, we see bitterness and frustration emerge. And I'm curious how you learned, because you said he didn't tell you, like you never would have known. How did you learn that you weren't the type of candidate that he was looking for? He did tell me. So well, interestingly enough as well, so the, my first two weeks on the job, he was on vacation as well as every other colleague on my team. So just by myself with uh, an administrative assistant who didn't know anything about my job. So for two weeks, I was kind of trying to learn and talk to people from other departments and so forth. But I can't remember exactly how soon it was when he came back from vacation, but it was very early on. I would say probably within the first month or so, he told me, you were not the type of person I wanted to hire based on your background. So it was very candid conversation from the get-go. He said at the same time, he said, you know, we're here together and I see every, for everyone who joins my team, that's what he told me, I see this as a three-time, a three-year commitment um, so that I'm going to invest in you and the return on investment will be, for me, will be over the next three years. And guess what? I actually stayed exactly three years with the company and then I just moved for other reasons to, uh, to Canada, actually. But anyhow, that's a different story. But it was a very, <laughs> very candid conversation early on. You know, I, you were imposed onto me. I didn't want someone for, with your background, but let's make the best of it. These are my expectations. I'm going to help you grow. I'm going to help you succeed. But I, this is what I want in return from you. Oh, I like that even better. So he was, yeah, he was just really honest and candid with you about his perspective. But it sounds like he did that in such a respectful way and didn't sound like it was intimidating or it didn't sound like it was hurtful at all for you. It was just honest. It's real. Because he also very quickly followed that up with it. Like, we're going to make this great. Here's my commitment. Here's what I expect. We're in this together kind of a, kind of a thing. 
Something I've been talking a lot about with leaders is making the implicit explicit because there's always this underlying stuff that so often we don't address. And I see this as such a good example of bringing forward just the real dynamics here. Because if, you know, those things could potentially get in your way if they aren't addressed. And he took a lot of courage for him to just address it right out of the gate. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine if, first of all, knowing that I had the job even before I I did the interview, then even not potentially knowing that he didn't want me, but then we just didn't have that candid conversation at the beginning and he didn't set up the stage so that he actually would allow me to succeed. Now, can you imagine living with fear of being with someone who doesn't want you and every little thing that you're going to do that is not right, you're going to hear from your boss because it's not the way it's done, it was wrong. I mean, it's very hard to be able to to succeed and to grow if you don't have that level of empowerment and trust. Yeah, that's really good. You're right. Well, and it clearly he empowered you because I mean, that that's a good segue to the second thing you learned from him. You said that he answered all of your questions with questions. So isn't that empowering in itself? I mean, sounds like he was really focused on your growth. Yes, yes. And he did not only with me, he did it with everybody on, on, the, on the team. So there were two other uh, consultants on, on my team uh, reporting to him. And that was his own style because, you know, Chambers of Commerce in France, they're very administrative, very like super old school, a very narrow mindset. Uh, but other departments had a completely different leader and a completely different dynamic on their teams. So it was very interesting even just to compare because I was very close to other colleagues in different departments, but clearly they don't have the same connection with, uh, with their boss either. Yeah, so that's interesting. So even though he was in an environment that didn't foster that, he showed up in a way that was really empowering and curious. What, where do you think that came from? Were those natural leadership strengths he had? It's a good question. Um, yes, I would say. I mean, generally, he he was. A, I mean, he's. You know, I mean, I haven't spoken to him since I left, so it's been a long time. But he, I believe, he is still a, a great guy. That's really what what he. I mean, he. We we had such an amazing chemistry on on the team, and even um, after one colleague left, and that was a very interesting experience as well for me. So um, she was always the person that was looking up to. Right. And she was she kind of mentored me in the role. And she actually came from the exact backgrounds that you know, Eric wanted to fill my role with. Um, so she was like the perfect you know, employee for her, for him. Uh, but she mentored him and she had such I mean, she had a great personality. She had a lot of knowledge. And when she left, when actually she relocated to um, like another area in France, I thought, well, she will never be replaced. I mean, she can't be replaced. And then we hired someone and I sort of mentored that person with uh, Muriel, who was uh, my other colleague. But it was just a natural dynamic. So basically what he did with me, I did it with the person who feels my other colleague's role, right? And they did it with me. So I sort of uh, trained the person who took my job as well. And it was the exact same dynamic. So it was all directed and uh, impulsed by Eric himself, right? So there was just an ongoing dynamic whomever joined or left the team just because of him and his style it was always the same dynamic and team collaboration oh it's such a good example of the influence you have the ongoing influence 
I, I talk so much about a drop of water hitting a still pond and it rippling out. And so Eric definitely created some ripples that have lasted well beyond his leadership with individuals. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. That's really, that's really cool. Well, and it's, it also goes, I, I mean, I can see now the connection between the three lessons learned. You said the third thing you learned from him was the importance of getting to know people personally. And you've talked a lot about the chemistry that he had with, with his team members, how he really took time to get to know people. It sounds like he cared a lot about people. Oh, yes, definitely. He, you know, we, without getting too much into but everybody's personal business, but he would ask, you know, how we were doing and you know, we would just have open conversations. Even just exchanging where we were at from a personal level was uh, very, very helpful just to create that bond. Yeah, to create that bond. Yeah, which makes it easier to have candid conversations and to empower people. And so I see the connectedness in all of these lessons learned. So how how does this pivotal experience so early in your career, how did it, how does it connect to the work that you're doing today around the employee experience? Well, it, it was sort of a, a natural evolution. I mean, I, when, when I got the chance to lead some teams and build some teams and, you know, taking leadership roles in organizations, uh, even though it, I, I think it's natural inclination anyway, my, my personal management style was very much aligned with Eric's management style. But what, what I learned, so which you know, just transpired, even naturally without overthinking about it all, what Eric should be doing. I, I never asked that question personally, uh, but I know that what, what I learned from him just transpired about what, what I've implemented throughout my career. But the, the switch, as I mentioned earlier, was really when, when I was working for a startup that was highly dysfunctional. Um, and I realized that we just need to, to approach people in a different ways. And uh, before that experience at the startup, I... You know, I had the privilege of working for an amazing organization in Indianapolis, uh, VMS, with amazing co-founders and amazing executives. And it, it was the best culture I've ever worked for. Um, but I think it was just a, it, it was, it's not something that you find in many organizations. That's the way to put it. And then I just wanted to be able to provide that kind of support and education to companies about what my personal experiences had been about so that at least they could provide um, to some degree some level of you know empowerment and understanding and empathy and human experience to the people working for them yeah so i have i have a big question for you on this because i know i know your passion around this you talk about creating a culture of caring putting employees at the heart of your people strategy. And you've, you've got the example of VMS as a culture in which that, that existed. And you said it's rare. But if you think about that, creating a culture of caring and putting employees at the heart of your people strategy, shouldn't it be like, of course. So why, why is it so rare? It's an interesting question. I, I think, I mean, so personally, I, I would say that I've, I've never been friends with people on my team why they were still on my team because i even though i really want to empathize with them i want to connect with them i want to learn about you know their personal lives if they're open to it and so forth i still want to build that sort of a distance between being their boss and being their friends because sometimes you have to make tough decisions right so that's always been my and it's just a natural inclination that's always been you know, my feeling about or my position or, or around this it doesn't mean that you you have to talk about business necessarily. I think you just have to create the framework where 
people can just be themselves, right? So if they want to talk a lot about what they do at home, then be it. If they only want to talk about business, that's fine too. But you need to be able to create that environment where they can just be themselves. So that's the biggest thing of all. And just to have, if needed, you know, tough conversations, whether it's related to business or just related to how they feel about related to what's going on in your society. I mean, over the past, you know, 12, 14 months, we've you know, had a lot of on our plates all together. You know, we talked about personal stuff early on before we started the recording. And, you know, COVID was just an amplifier of everything that people have to deal with at work and outside of work. And now I think that organizations that really embrace that idea of let's talk about this, right? Let's talk about what's going on, you know, what's going on in your life. So one thing that I, so I you know we use Slack as our communication collaboration tool at LifeGuides. And the question that I ask pretty much every morning when I, when I first get to my laptop and I Slack my people, not just my team, even people like other higher level in the organization, even our CEO, Derek, is how are you feeling today? That's my first question, even before I get straight to business. And I always, or most of the time, wait for them to answer that question before I ask another question that is business related, because I want to make sure that they're feeling good. And if they're not, and if I can help, then I'm happy to you know, spend a few minutes and understand what's going on. So this, the, I got, I just, this is so good because I, I'm having a big aha here. Cause you know, when you first said, I've never been friends with people on my team while well, they were on my team. Like, that's not what I expected you to start with. I became friends with them after, but not during. Well, but what I hear in what you're saying is they may not want to be your friends. You're creating an environment where they can get what they need, where they can be themselves. So by starting with, how are you feeling today? I mean, you're discerning where they are and what they need. They may not need a friend. Well, correct. Yes. Uh, you know, I don't remember, especially when I was at VMS, because there was, I mean, there was such a, a sense of belonging and community among everybody. Like everybody really loved each other. And uh, they would always so often have, you know, after our drinks and so forth. But when it was not something that was like a team building that I originated, I rarely joined because I didn't want to, you know, be the boss and listening to whatever they want to talk about, you know, their personal life. Now, some people are very comfortable with it. Others are not. And I was not necessarily, but it doesn't mean that I became friends with all of them after. It, it was different. It was very supportive, but it's not, you know, when you know that at some points you may have to make tough decisions and you don't want to be the friend who has to either provide you know, very you know, constructive, but very, very tough feedback, for instance, or even if you have to go like to take a more drastic measure and let people go. Yes, because you may have to make decisions for the business that would be hard to do as a friend. Right. B but at the same time, what I hear you saying is, I mean, it goes back to the story with Eric. That doesn't mean that you're not getting to know people personally or caring about people. Yes, those are, those are I, I see them as different um, different types of relationships. Yeah, it's good. It's good to make that distinction. I like that. I think I think that will be helpful because I because I have seen leaders who different than you have said, well, I don't want to be friends, but then they're not personally connecting. And that's that's a challenge when you're not personally connecting, because then there's all kinds of things you don't know. I mean, how are you going to support someone's success and get the best of someone if you don't know what it is that motivates them? Well, ex exactly. You know, if, if someone comes one morning and 
doesn't act the way they typically act and because you haven't built that relationship so it might be very awkward for you to say what's going on you are very different today than you were yesterday well if you haven't created that you know framework of trust or that environment of trust that person may not decide to not necessarily confine into you but at least to share why they're not doing so well right now yeah okay so i'm going to go back to the question so why is that so rare what is it that gets in the way of leaders getting to know people? Three things, maybe. One, uh, because some people just don't care. They just don't give a crap about you know, how other people feel. That's one thing. Others, uh, they're at work. They just want to talk about business and that's it. And, you know, it's, it's fair. And you have a lot of people that are just only business oriented when it comes to work. Uh, and then you have others that may just see this as a weakness, maybe. Right. If, I, if I'm being too friendly with my people, if I just even open up about what's going on in my personal life or my emotions or my struggles, then I'm in the position of weakness and I don't want this because they're either going to take advantage of it or uh, other people may want to see me as a weak person and I may not get the promotion that I want or whatever else. I think these are the, the three main reasons why you, know, you have so many people who actually don't create that place of trust and you know, nurturing and uh, caring in their in their on their teams or even organizations as a whole. Yeah, that's good. Well, and it's it's a vulnerable place to get to know someone personally. I mean, it's it's risky. It's it takes courage. <laughs> I I don't know if it's risky if it takes courage. For me, it's just natural. But I I, I would imagine that for some people, yes, that's a, that's a big gamble. Yeah, because think about when you open yourself up to someone. Like you don't you don't know what response you're going to get. So yeah, so for us, it feels more natural, but for leaders who don't want to give away control, like to keep it all buttoned up, that I suspect that could feel really risky for them. Yes. And I, I've been in, you know, I've had people on my team when I ask them how they're feeling, just, I'm okay. And that's it. And that's all you're going to get from them. And you just have to accept it and go with it. And others that may just either write like a Slack message or like an email that is like two pages long and you just have to go through it and read it because I take the time to read those or, you know, they may want to jump on the call and spend a few minutes here and there. And I think it's, um, you know, some people may see as a distraction from getting the job done, but I think as a manager, that's, <laughs> that's part of your job. Yeah. Job. Yeah. I, that's such a great question and such a practical takeaway for all of our listeners, just simply starting the conversation with how are you feeling today? Cause that, that puts the ball in their court to get from you what they need. Well, and then I really appreciate your, you know, because being a relational leader, if I, if I get like, I'm fine and I know that there's more there, like I, sometimes I can probe too much and you know, I need to let people be where they are. I jump in and try to fix often when somebody doesn't want that at all. So I, I really appreciate your, your guidance around letting them lead in that situation and supporting them based on what they need. Right, exactly. And it's just to open the door. So if, if you feel that the, you know, the person is you know, acting differently than usual, and, but is not really opening the door to you to get into, into their space, at least tell them, you know, I'm, I'm here. Like anytime you want to chat or I'm, I'm here for you. If it's not right now, it might be later today or tomorrow. Yeah, that's so good. And that question, how are you feeling? That definitely sends that message, doesn't it? That, hey, I care about you. 
Yes, especially if you do this genuinely, and it, you know, it's it's so it's something that I started doing, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. I mean, I would just randomly ask people on my team, like before, even just you know, when we were in the office, face to face, "Hey, how is it going? Or how are you doing?" But and then I realized that you know, when you say, "Hey, how is it going? How are you doing?" It's like you go to the grocery store and they ask you, "How are you doing?" And uh, you say, "Yes, uh, thanks, good, thanks." And what about you? And they would not respond to you just because it's like, oh, yeah, okay. It's like, hi. Right. right? Um, so by right. changing the wording to, first of all, feeling instead of doing, that's deeper. And then today, it's not just in general. It's like right now. Right now. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Yeah, it's a much more specific question that gets at, that gets at how they're doing. It, it, it not forces, but it allows people to at least, hmm, He's really, you know, he really cares about me. So if maybe let, let, let me draft like a response because actually I'm not feeling great today. So. Well, and didn't we, didn't we model it? I mean, you, you referenced earlier that before we started recording, we caught up personally and you asked me that question. And so I shared openly that I'm not great and here's what's going on. I've had some sadness in my life and I'm feeling that. And right next to my sadness is excitement about this conversation and yeah, so so think about how that set the tone for a conversation very differently than if you had said, "How you doing?" I don't I don't know if I would have shared that much. Right? Yeah, yeah, because it's very generic, right? I, I think "How are you doing?" is just a very generic question. That's good. Okay, I'm going to take that. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to start asking everyone, "How are you feeling today?" <laughs> Well, so, so many takeaways. So that is definitely a big takeaway for me. I also, I really like the distinction that we made between being friends with people on your team and connecting personally with people on your team. And then your pivotal moment, learned the learnings that you took away from Eric. I mean, all three of those are such good reminders. The power in candid conversations right out of the gate and the trust that that established, you knew where he was coming from. And then just he always answered your questions with questions and how empowering that was and supportive of your growth and that he modeled getting to know people personally. And then, then you took that on and, have, and demonstrate that in your leadership going forward. Anything that you would add like from our conversation, anything I missed or anything that you want to highlight or reinforce? I would just uh, share something because uh, I mean it's it's related to everything that we discussed. So when when I was um, interviewing for the business school, like in France, we had to like take some written tests, and then depending on how you you know you scored, then you would get interviewed in different schools, and then eventually, if you had the choice, then you would just go to the school that you wanted to go to. So anyhow, in one school, which is not the one I joined. Um, I was asked what I wanted to do uh, when I graduate from business school and said, well, I want to get into human resources. And I was asked why. And I said, well, because I really want to, you know, to work with people. I want to help them grow. I want to help them succeed. And, and <laughs> so the the person on, on the panel, the judge told me, well, that's not the role of HR. HR is to, you know, write policies and processes. And so I moved into marketing because marketing was much more human focused, right? And interestingly enough, when, when I, because I've been thinking a lot about this over the past few years when I started the uh, EX journey and, and so forth and people first community platform, um, but it was kind of a natural loop. And, you know, I've migrated right now more and more to where I wanted to be when actually I was going to college. And they have shifted a lot from processes and policies and really focusing more on the people. 
Yes. Which is where the focus needs to be, putting employees at the center of the people strategy, which feels like a no brainer. <laughs> it's getting back. It, it's getting back. And I don't think there will be a lot of middle ground moving forward, especially out of COVID. It would be either the organizations that really embrace the human components of it or those that don't. And those that don't will really be left behind because they will be very hard for them to find a good talent, not necessarily even top talent, but just good talent. Right. Yeah. Yes, because the experience is different in those organizations and that's what we're looking for. And especially if you've had that, then of course that's going to become your expectation. Yes. Yeah. And the point is, as an employee, you may not feel no, full purpose or like you may not feel fully fulfilled in the job that you do and so forth. But if you do have a great team, you have a great leader, you have great people that you work with, that's a good enough inspiration for you to be good at your job, at your job right? Even though you may not necessarily like the culture as a whole, but you have a good culture on your team, it's going to inspire you day after day to come to work. Um, so it's, it's still important just to build those microcultures and to have a leader that is going to inspire their people, even though it's not necessarily at the organizational level. That's it. That is why I do the work that I do every day with leaders and why I love Eric's story so much is because you can make a choice in an environment that isn't fostering those right leadership behaviors. You can still make a choice to do that and, and it will have tremendous impact if you do. And it's going to feel really good. <laughs> And you'll get results. And so interestingly enough, too, he had a pretty high turnover on his team. Uh, and usually after three years, like, you know, he defines the ROI, but not just because people didn't like him, just because he helped those people grow so much that they just moved on to better opportunities, right? And, and others had like lifers on their teams and people who just, showed up at work because they have to, but they hated their jobs and they hated their bosses. So it's not because well, you have to think of turnover a, a little differently too. I mean, it's a very different conversation, but if you're a great leader and you really empower your, your people, you develop your people, eventually they would leave because the organization itself may not be able to offer those people opportunities to grow further. Yes. A high level of retention in an organization where people aren't growing and evolving is not a good thing. Retention by itself is just a fake metric. So it's the wrong metric. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. We, <laughs> we could talk all day. We, uh, we're definitely very like-minded in our perspective around the, just the HR profession and how it's evolving. And thank you for your contribution to that. You know, I, I encourage all of our listeners to find you on LinkedIn, check out the great work that you're doing, check out your community. So talk a little bit about the People First community and tell our listeners where they can find you and get access to those resources. Yeah, so it's www.peoplefirst.community. Uh, so it's not .com, it's .community. But it's, it's, a, it's a virtual and in-person community where we, we do like we do podcasts, we do virtual and in-person events, and we have an online community platform as well. It's just to be able for, for people to connect with one another, uh, you know, people who are either in a people leader position or just passionate about culture in general. Um, so they can connect together, they can learn from each other. And we also co-create resources available to uh, everybody else within the online community. So it's some, something that you know, people can take on some of those resources and apply them to their own organizations. 
Excellent. That's so good. Well, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure, Andrea. Thank you for sharing. I have learned through this conversation. I'm taking away some good things and I'm so appreciative of you. Well, likewise, and thanks for everything that you're doing as well. We, we, need, we need more of, of us, I would say, in the workplace. Yeah, well, it's like a drop of water hitting a still pond, right? We're making, we're making ripples. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a Being at Work story.